You're listening to Cancer Covered. I think it's with any specialty, even working in critical care, it was, how do you shut that off when you go home? I notice working in oncology, I have a harder time shutting it off at home, especially in your everyday living. I mean, when you see oncology, you feel like everyone around you has cancer. So now you have a cancer. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. Because oncology is a high-stress specialty, it isn't unusual for there to be tension between members of the team. So I sat down with oncology nurses Brittany Cook and Kylie Taze to talk about how oncology doctors and nurses sometimes annoy each other. Here's part two of our conversation. Say more about how the styles or approaches of nurses and physicians are different. I mean, you have your doctors that um, likes to be very hands-on, likes to do Mm -hmm. things themselves, likes to follow through with a lot of things. Um, You have doctors that are quiet. Um, that don't like to really educate. Um, I mean, some doctors you've approached and you're like, hey, you know, what about this? And they're like, just glare at you like, nope, not today. We're not, we're going to have that conversation. Like you don't want to explain. It's not asking to explain yourself, but again, I use it as an education piece. Mm -hmm. Um, You have doctors that really like to educate and sometimes over tell you kind of beyond your head where you're like, got it. She's looking at me. <laughs> much appreciated, though. <laughs> but sometimes you only have so much time in a day, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just, so there you have that. With nurses, you have, I know my job. I know what I have to do. And I need someone or I need someone to tell me what to do all the time, like a doctor. Then you have other nurses that are just like, nope, I'm educated in this. I'm familiar with this. This is what he says. I know that this is what he's going to say. I'm comfortable with that. And the autonomy gets a little bit greater with some nurses. So you do have those two separate, I feel like. Which one of those are you? <laughs> I like to think that I have. I feel like I have a lot of autonomy. Yeah, I, I think you probably are. Yeah, I just, I guess, and I don't know if part of that is like the critical care nurse that you, you've had to think certain ways and you had to like do. And then the longer you're here and the longer you get to know the doctors and their responses, you just get more comfortable with certain things. In critical care, especially it's, it's like you have to start doing sometimes before you, 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 you right. have a plan. Yep. It's like, mm-hmm. cause stuff's happening. I mean, yep. I learned, yeah, it's been a while since I was a resident in critical care, but that was, I learned how did. to do those things from the nurses. Yep. Yeah. What about you? How are the styles of nurses and physicians different? I mean, I think Britt talk, touched on it pretty well. I think the infusion nurses still go to some consults and do some education. The care managers have rocked and rolled and taken majority of that role from us. But um, you can still kind of tell if you're in a consult, there might be a physician that won't even look at you once. And that's fine because they're doing it. They're handling it. And then sometimes mm-hmm. you'll have a physician that will be like, oh, yeah, we could we could do that, right? And they'll look back at you taking notes. And um, so you have some positions that are just the doers. They're just going to do it and they're going to ask question later. And then there are some that know what needs to be done, but also know where it's okay to ask for not advice per se, but just nurses. How do you feel about that? How would that work downstairs for the patient? And 
Um, so you kind of know what you're walking into. And when it comes to infusions downstairs, I think all of providers are do a really good job at maintaining the plan of care. But then there are some that don't want you to tweak it. And then there are some that go ahead and tweak whatever you want, just fill me in later. Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. the autonomy differs mm-hmm. um, based on kind of what physician or what provider you're working with. Um, and again, I think you, Brett had said it over time, you kind of catch on to that more and then you can kind of figure out what physicians are here today, how that might work for your schedule, who not to overly dock halo and just get the job done, tell them later, or, you know, who wants to be more involved in actually, you know, making even little tweaks and things like that. So you just, you just kind of learn. And did the doctor rake up on the right side of the bed? Correct. That's a big thing in huddle when you're like, what kind of personality are they going to have <laughs> How many phone calls did they already get this morning? And what does that mean for the rest of my day? <laughs> Maybe we should all wear like a, a flip sign necklace that's got like a smiley face and yes, the back yes. side has a frowny face. Yeah, I like And that. then at the end right. of the huddle, we get the, the, the team decides which one right. they yes. wear. So or like red light, knows. green light. If yeah. it's yellow, yes. approach uh, with caution. Yes. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> Until after hard. lunch. Ah, yes. It was inevitable that physician temperament and personality would come up. I was both excited and a little nervous to hear what they had to say. Between the tweakers and the autonomous delegators, which ones are easier to work with? Gosh, I feel like that's a loaded question, too. Uh, it's not intentionally loaded. Yeah. I'm just curious. I guess it depends on what the goal is. You know, if I'm having a reaction that's occurring, I'm clearly not going to, I'm just going to tweak and do what I need to and uh-huh. worry about and then figure that out later. You know, if it's an, more of an, a serious or emergent situation, then the physicians are like, you guys got this. You do what you got to do. You have the emergency meds that you need. You know, just let me know what you need. And that's helpful. But also, you know, in cases where it might just be less of a, I don't know, I'm kind of losing my train of thought with that one. Just more emergent situations or more situations that I need to get handled a little bit more you know, timely. You want a stronger hand. Then it's easier, yes, to to take care of that and then worry about the tweaking positions later. Okay. <laughs> kind of. I don't know. I kind of went in circles with that. But I think it's very situational is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's situational on what's easier to work with and when. Mm-hmm. It's not very much of an answer, but it's just situational. I agree with that, Kylie, though. I think, and you know, even from speaking with patients, like over the phone, a lot of times we can give results over the phone and do things like that. Um, you know, so I would maybe go ahead and give those results because I know what was discussed in a room. You have some providers that are calling with results, not really much explanation. You have some that detail it saying this, 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 and this. If A, B, C. Right. Both are fine. I sometimes, when it gets a little bit more involved, detail is nice. But then if it's too much detail, it's like, Maybe that's just a visit, or maybe you just need to call the per- yeah. the patient to to discuss because you know that the questions are going to be coming, okay. essentially. So, okay. so again, that's situations. Situational. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I would answer it a different way. What is the main stylistic difference between physicians and nurses? If if I had to summarize it, just my opinion. I think physicians think strategically, and nurses think tactically. I think. If to use a battlefield analogy, it's the, a tactic is how exactly are we going to get the unit up that hill right there? Strategically, it's like, how are we going to win the battle? 
That's exactly right. If you're a unit commander and you're like, this hill in front of us is getting overrun. What are we going to do about it? We have to, we have to shore this up. Meanwhile, you know, the entire battle physicians, I think, focus on the overall plan and, and executing that plan, often oblivious to some of the aspects of the person in the middle of it. And I think nurses sometimes become hyper-focused on the hill in front of them, the tactic at the moment, mm -hmm. and miss the overall grand strategy, mm -hmm. I think. I think that's a big stylistic difference. And I think that's where the tension happens sometimes. Yeah, I would yeah, agree. I agree. And I don't think neither is wrong Correct. Though, either. Because yeah. you need someone that has that overall, this is our goal. Mm -hmm. But in reality, though, too, when we get overwhelmed with what's happening at present, because sometimes that present is what mm -hmm. matters most versus what are we focusing on three months from now? Right. Sometimes it does matter most. And sometimes the whole strategy has to change right. because of what's happening on that hill right. in front of you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that hill in front of you is a distraction. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that's an opportunity for communication. Really. Yes. It's right. just like, and it, of course, that's exactly what everybody has plenty of time for in the middle mm -hmm. of a really, right. really busy day. It's yeah. just like, I got, let me, let me explain this mm -hmm. or, you know. And sometimes I feel like that's, those hills seem so simple and small. Like, for example, nausea with a treatment could be, physicians might think that's so simple and small, but nurses are spending a lot of time like trying to help with the nausea other ways, change the meds, because if that nausea is so much of a hill and a barrier, well, then they might not be able to do their next cycle of chemo. And then therefore, where are we at with the battle? So I think right. sometimes it's it's just a matter of getting on the same page with like, yep, the nurses want to win the battle, but also we can get hyper-focused on the smaller, you know, and communicating that is important. Oh, you can lose, you can lose the battle if you ignore the wrong hill. Right. It's right. just like, you're not going to yep. get to the next treatment if they're puking their way all the way mm -hmm. through the first one. Your toxicities are your battle. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And I was reminded this past weekend of the uh, importance and unhappiness that comes with nausea when I had a bit of food poisoning and I thought, oh God, this is yeah. I mean happily chemotherapy related nausea is mostly a thing in the past, but I mean it's not it's still there are some. Yeah. But it, it, it's yeah. And you know the doctor thinking, oh no no we'll just muscle through that because we've got to get to the next thing. Sometimes you just can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we also talk about like in the beginning, you know, a lot of our doctors do talk about we want to make sure we quantity of life is important, but we also want to make sure in that quantity, we're providing good quality of life, you know? So we have several doctors that do talk in that form. So kind of to your point with the battle, like we still have to remember the quality of how a patient is getting through all this because they can throw in the towel at any point and say, nope, done. I'm actually probably an outlier on that because I think we talk a lot about quality versus quantity of life as a dichotomy. From what I can tell, from experience and from evidence, if quality isn't good, you're not gaining quantity either. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I, sometimes I think that's a false dichotomy. Uh, I actually I almost always feel like it's a false dichotomy. There's exceptions. Chemo, uh, chemotherapy is never much fun, but but you know if it works, it's gain a lot. But yeah, it has to be both. I think it always has to be both. Mm -hmm. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. A cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and alone, just when you need support the most. I'm Addison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. 
As social workers at Green Bay Oncology, we know that meaningful connection brings strength and healing. Sharing the experience in a safe space with others on a similar path is often powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual cancer support group facilitated for you and your loved ones. Wherever you are on your cancer journey, you're always welcome. To join us, visit gboncology.com events. Everyone in cancer care is stretched thin. The front desk, to the lab, to the pharmacy, to the doctors, to the nurses. I wanted to know if the shared burdens ever felt, well, overshared. What are some of the other frustrations that maybe physicians or others aren't aware of? Um, I think sometimes, and not to say that, you know, everyone works so extremely hard here and everyone has important roles in making the patient's treatment journey happen, but it feels sometimes that the nurses tend to end up being the middleman, um, the middleman between the MDs and the patient and their family, sometimes um, the middleman just in the clinic between other departments, you know, we're getting the same questions from different departments or the same encounters sent to us in our, you know, how we do our triage. And um, a lot of times it feels like when there's a question, no matter who it's from, it's a lot of times the nurses are the go-to. The nurses are the ones that need to send off to the other departments and make things happen or answer the questions for the patients or get the patient question to the MD and then back to the patient. So it's a lot of responsibility. And so sometimes I think that can cause frustration a little bit when we can't necessarily get something done and it feels like it sometimes falls on the nurses. Like for instance, the nurse will take care of getting them scheduled, even though we don't do the scheduling, uh, making sure that it's authorized first, even though we don't do the authorization, um, making, we do the education, uh, making sure the drug is available, even though mm-hmm. we don't obtain the drugs. Making uh, changes if there's biosimilars in the treatment make, plans, yep. making those switches. Is that something you're supposed to be doing directly or is that something you're supposed to delegate? Well, that's the middle, man. That's we, the middle, we, man. We like, you don't delegate to the right person. Yeah. You delegate to the nurse for the nurse to, to do some to of the... Right de- yes. So there's a delegator. It delegates to you, and then you sub-delegate. Correct. Correct. You don't want to do the sub-delegation. That would be helpful. It would be helpful <laughs> just because there's other, you know, like if we say we get a telephone encounter, patient so-and-so is being discharged. They need this, 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 and this. Pretty much all reception. Are the orders entered? Not Probably always. not. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of that, yeah, I don't always order. you know, don't has always to order. go to certain different departments. But mm-hmm. and it's it is fine, but it does take away from like time from us as well to deal with the things that we actually do. It just can cause more work for everyone. So it's not even just about the nurses or the MDs, but sometimes I feel like it almost becomes because the nurses are frustrated or vice versa. The MDs are then other it can, can it can leak. You know, so if we're getting, you know, can you please do this with financial? Can you please do this with the orders? And then mm-hmm. we're like retyping notes and then sending it to the right people. Mm-hmm. And then the orders aren't in. Well, then that starts to affect, you know, more than just the nurses. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Extra steps would frustrate me too. <laughs> I hear you. And I've already thought of a couple of things I can do different. <laughs> do you think maybe you guys have already answered this. Do you think nurses and doctors focus on different things about patient care? Yes and no. I do, you know, kind of what we touched on before, you kind of 
are looking at the overall outcome of things and we look at more of how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I think when it comes down to it, when we are in the actual game of it, when we are in that journey, um, I do think there are times when we do complement each other enough and do work together as a team to ultimately do what's right for the patient. Say more about that. Um, so, you know, when the patient, you know, up front, it can always appear that I think it's always the the get going, right? It's always the coordination of everything. So when the patient comes in overwhelmed um, and it's different departments that you have to coordinate with, we get it done. And then when it's actually in the grind of the journey with the treatments and the side effects and, you know, extra appointments, I think we do work well together um, to, you know, to make that stuff happen. Um, you know, obviously it's done in different ways, whether it's the nurse kind of urging it on, or it's the doctor coming up with something saying, I really want the patient to do this. Um, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's, I feel like the same goal is with the patient. You know, we do have different styles on getting there, like we've Mm -hmm. mentioned, but I do think here in my personal opinion is we do a good job to execute it Mm -hmm. for them. One thing was clear. Whatever advantage nurses have being in closer contact with patients day after day, it comes with exposure to a lot of raw emotions. And that's one of the hardest parts of the job, as Brittany and Kylie made clear. And I will say one thing I always try to remind myself is, again, with time, it is not the MD's fault that the nurses have more time to spend with the patients. And I think that's like really important to remember because I think that allows us to learn more about the patient, learn more about their support system, who they bring with them, what they need, what helps them when they're having certain side effects. Um, we get to see more, again, touching back on that like whole person, not so much just the treatment. It's not the MD's fault that they don't have that time. You don't have that kind of time to go have an hour and a half conversation with the patient, their family to learn all these different things to help them through their treatment. That's our job. That's what we get to do. You, you sort of do that by proxy for us in some ways. Yeah. And then we're, but we should trust what you tell us about the time you spent. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like spending that kind of time mm-hmm. with patients, but if I do that, that's about 1500 decisions that don't get Correct. Made. Exactly. But then again, that's that, that's the the battle. So then we're, we're learning about all the hills. And so then we bring you the hills. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the difficult thing sometimes is you probably get frustrated with us bringing you all the hills. <laughs> Not so much that. I, I think, I think when there's disagreement over how important that particular hill is, mm-hmm. is when yeah. it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Because that's your hill. That's this this is my hill. This is the one that's right in front of me. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that that one we can we can lose that one. Right. I think there's a misconception though sometimes on the importance of the hill because we maybe focus me sometimes yes, maybe too much on that particular hill or that struggle, but we are also the ones kind of facing the patient. We are the ones seeing that urgency in their eyes. We're the ones seeing their feedback on that. You're the one that has to sell it's okay to lose that hill to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And we're honest. I mean, sometimes we do get the backlash or we get mm. the brunt of maybe the response or no response Correct. of the MD, mm. you know, and try to make it still okay that mm-hmm. we promise you're still in good hands. It's just we're trying to overcome and focus on something bigger. Well, you can't convince them if you don't believe it either. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. 
But I also think personalities, knowing the personality of your patients and your mm -hmm. population that you're dealing with too also determines that. One of the hardest things for anyone who works in oncology, whether they're working at the reception desk, whether they're nurses, whether they're medical assistants or radiation treatment techs or physicians, is being caught in the emotional crossfire between patients and their cancer problem. The more time you spend in direct contact with a patient, the more crossfire you're going to get caught in the middle of. Physicians get caught in it for sure. And we spend a lot of time with patients, but you know the encounters tend to be briefer. You're there for a more extended period of time. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. It must feel sometimes like you're abandoned to that. It's never fun fighting a rear guard action. We get asked this a lot is how can you work in this field? Mm -hmm. How how can you do that? Um, and there's different definitely many responses that, you know, nurses can give. Um, but there's also something that you learn as a nurse too, is that sometimes you do have to shut off that emotional, you can't allow yourself to hundred percent feel what they're feeling because you do get stuck or not stuck, but you do get in those emotional crossfires and it's easy to, because you naturally want to try to help them in every single way possible, but we know it's not possible. It's just the emotional aspect of how much a nurse is willing to take on, you know, and I think it's with any specialty, even working in critical care, it was, how do you shut that off when you go home? You know, mm -hmm. and I noticed working in oncology, I have a harder time shutting it off at home, um, especially in your everyday living. I mean, when you see oncology, you feel like everyone around you has cancer. So now you have a cancer every week. So... <laughs> I mean, that sounds healthy. Yeah. Um, I've felt I've convinced myself many times. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Uh, Did you know there's a name for that in uh, medical school? Sophomore syndrome. Uh, traditionally in medical training, the second year of medical school is when you do pathophysiology and you study all the diseases. And there's a rash during the second year of medical school of medical students diagnosing themselves with, oh my God, I have this elephantiasis. I have. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have sleeping sickness, you know, or something. I, I convinced myself for about two weeks that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was a sophomore. And, and some had it more, some had it less than, 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 than others. Yeah. And after a while you just adapt, but I mean, it's just human. It, and I was told that I remember why one of our older nurse practitioners, when I first started here, so I've been here almost six years. And she said, probably the first year, maybe two, um, you will believe, you will pick apart everything and you will think that you have every cancer that you come across, or you will drive yourself crazy thinking this. And she said, then it gradually gets better. And I think why it gets better is educating. Like the more educated you become of it, the better I kind of feel like, okay, now you're being extremely irrational, Brit. Like, let's take a step mm. back. Rain it in. Yeah. You know, like, let's, mm. you know, so, and even, I mean, even when you have children, I mean, you do the same thing when you have children. It's palpating like, their lymph nodes every right? day. When right. Why, what school. is that behind your neck? No, it's not an ear infection. You know, like you think that's of. A, that's a so, it, lethal I mean, midline granuloma is what yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah. Right. To hear part three of our conversation, be sure to catch our next episode. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Cover. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, 
or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. 